again, Living Church. Happy November. Can you believe it? It's already November of 2017. It's hard to believe. You know, I don't know about you, uh, but for us, October was a really busy month. We had a whole lot of things going on, and now as we're in a new month, I look back over last month, and man, I got to take a minute to celebrate everything that God did. In October, we opened our new kids' building. If you haven't had a chance to look at it, man, God's doing great things. It's provided square footage so that we can do better ministry for your kids and for my kids. Lillian is in the four, five, and six class right now. And so we're excited that we opened that. In October, we also had some building renovations. We added a hallway, put in some new glass doors. You guys see the vision banners around the building this morning. And so a lot of stuff happening. Also, we celebrated our seven-year anniversary as a church uh, in October. And so that was super exciting. And then that evening, we had city worship. How many of you guys came out to city worship? Man, it was powerful. At the lot downtown, we had over 700 people come out and worship the Lord with us. So October was busy with that. We also launched the health challenge. And so hundreds of us made a decision that over October, November, December, instead of eating all of the food, we're going to be intentional to focus on our health. We also had the 5K, and 160 people showed up and ran, walked, and survived the 5K, right? And so that was big. So October was busy, y'all. Then we had Pastor Appreciation Month. We had baby baptism, or not baby baptism. We had baby dedication and water baptism. We don't do that, right? And so water baptism. And last week, we baptized 23 people. Man, 23 people making a public declaration of their faith. It was so exciting. Throughout October, over 30 people have given their hearts to Jesus. So many amazing things have happened. And all while we've been doing that, we've been in this crazy series with Mr. T out on the street on Matlock saying, I pity the fool, right? Talking about Proverbs. And in this series, we've talked about some heavy things. We've talked about some heavy concepts about what it means to be foolish and what it means to walk in wisdom. We talked about how sometimes we can be prideful, but we need to humble ourselves. We've talked about how sometimes we can be lazy, but we need to be diligent. We've talked about how sometimes our words can get us in trouble and we can speak death over situations. We talked about how we need to run away from wickedness and we need to pursue right living, right? So we've talked about some heavy stuff. And I've got to tell you, it's been a great series. And I thought last week, as we baptized the last person, I thought, it's done. We wrapped up I Pity the Fool. It's over. We've got a brand new series that we're going to start. We've already got the banners and the logos and the videos. And I'm so excited to start this new series. But who knows God's in charge, right? And so this message today wasn't on my radar. It wasn't in my planning. It wasn't something that I thought that we're going to be preaching on. But man, God so strongly over the last week said, trust, and this is what my people need to hear, that I had to change it. So we're going to start a new series next week, but we're, this is the uh, extended version of I Pity the Fool, so we've got a whole other message, and uh, I'm really excited about it, because uh, man, I couldn't shake it. 92 times, 92 times in the book of Proverbs, there's wisdom concerning, ready, our finances. So I know that some of you right now, you're taking the trust in knob and you're turning it down and now you can't even hear what I'm saying anymore, right? Don't talk about my money. Some of you are like, I would rather you be talking about my sex life than my finance life. We'll do that someday, right? I'm working on a series right now called How to Have Great Sex, right? That's down the road, hold the promise. It's going to be great. The intro is going to be Genuine Pony, right? But that's down the road. I promise it's going to be a great series. It's going to be a great series. But if the Bible shares wisdom with us, no matter what the issue, no matter what the area, we need to know what the Word of God says. And finances are something that we deal with every day of our life. And so I got to tell you, I love you. I love you enough to talk about things that are really prevalent to life, to talk about some things that might feel like, man, why is this guy up here talking about my money? Well, because I think that we need to understand what this important area of our life, what God has to say about it. And looking back over the last weeks, man, I wish I would have planned this, but it lines up so good with what we've already been talking about. So we've talked about how we need to pursue wisdom. Well, if money's a big deal, then what does the Bible have to say wisdom says about our finances? So we need to Look at that. It says, we talked about how we need to throw off pride and live in humility, right? And there's this idea that if we already know everything, then we can't learn anything. But sometimes we think we already know everything about money, but the key to wisdom is humility. And so we've got to talk about it. We've talked about laziness, right? And we talked about how the sluggard owns a field, remember? And how the field of the sluggard, it grows up with weeds and it grows up with thorns and the walls of the sluggard fall down and they have no protection. And so if we're not being wise in our finances, then our borders, our boundaries, our financial things that can create some stability in our life, 
it all falls away and anything can come in and cause disruption. Finance has ever disrupted your life? I know it has Rachel and I, right? But if we would have had some walls up that God told us to, then we would have been protected. So it just lines up in so many areas. I'm excited. And I'm really, I'm unapologetic about it. Sometimes I'll hear pastors preach on money and they say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I got to talk about this, but I love you, man. I love you enough to talk about some things that sometimes might be kind of heavy or in your business. You know, the number one cause of divorce is finances. One of the greatest stressors in our life is our finances. And so we've got to talk about these things and what the Word of God said. So my prayer this week is that this morning, in the short time that I have, that you will unscrew the lid concerning finances and what God has to say about them and not think, I already know everything, but look at what really the Word of God says. And I hear all the time people say, you know, all the church wants is my money. You ever heard that before? All the church wants is my money, which I think is kind of funny because the truth is all everybody wants is your money. Like the only reason that there's a Kroger down the street is because they want your money. They don't just like selling you groceries. They want your money, right? The only reason there's a gas station on every corner is not because they're providing a service of gasoline. It's because they want your money. The reason that you have a house that you live in is because somebody wanted to build a house to sell it to you to make some money. So if anything, the only place that isn't about your money is the church. Because the church is the only place that I know of that you can come into and receive something except a bill. So our heart is that you would come into Living Church and receive something every week, that your kids would receive something every week. And if, if we were really all about money, I would have guys at the door taking payment before you're allowed in. We go to the movies, and that's what we do. You go to a football game or basketball game, you go in, and you can't get in without a ticket. We don't do that. So we're not all about your money. I don't want your money, but what I want is I want God to have all of you. I want God to have your whole heart and everything in your life. And so because of that, we're going to talk about it. Okay, I love you. The Proverbs are full of wisdom concerning money. And this could be an entire series, but I'm going to pack it in. I've got 10 points. 10 points. I believe I can fly. Right? We're about to do it. We're about to do 10 points. And the focus of Proverbs is how we interact with our finances. Like, how am I interacting with the money that I have? Point number one is this, if you're taking notes, is that money is a gift from God. All money that we have, it's a gift from God. Proverbs 10, it says, The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Everything we have, it comes from God. Everything we have, the job we have, comes from God. The talents and the abilities that we have come from God. The car we drove here, I know you went to some, a dealership and bought it, but God provided you the finances to be able to buy that thing. Everything we have, it comes from the Lord. Our checking account, our savings account, our retirement funds, everything we have, it all comes from the Lord. Every once in a while, my kids, Lillian and Titus, will be fighting over my iPad. I want it. It's mine. It's mine. And they're literally playing tug of war with my iPad. And so I have to walk in. I have to say, no, baby, give me that. So I take the iPad and I say, Lillian, this is not yours. Titus, this is not yours. It is mine. I'm going to let you use it. But if I need it, you have to give it back to me. And the truth is the clothes they wear are mine. The food they eat is mine. The bed they sleep in is mine. I'm just a nice dad and let them have all those things. You know, God's the same. Everything we have has been provided to the breath in our lungs. We sang it this morning. The breath in our lungs is from God. So everything we have is his. James chapter 1 verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from your Father. So the Bible talks a lot about money, and money is a gift from God. And you know, money is not a bad thing. Money is not evil. This is a $100 bill. No, I'm not going to give it to you, right? And so... Money is not a bad thing, but sometimes we get this idea or this perspective that money is evil. And in the church, we can talk and feel like if someone has money, then they're an evil person. The rich man can't enter into heaven, right? And we get all these negative ideas, but you know, there's nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible that says that money is evil. You're saying, well, pastor, you're, you're missing a scripture. I think that there's something in the Bible that says something about how the money is the root of all evil. Well, the Bible does say that if you cut out a couple words and push two sentences together, then that's what it says. But let me read you what the Bible actually says about money concerning it being evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It says, for the love, the love, the desire, the selfishness, the wanting of money is the root 
of all kinds of evil. So saying that there's all kinds of evil does not say that all evil is based out of money. It goes on, and it says some people, some people, so it doesn't say all people. So that means that you have the capacity to be a person that has money and not be evil. Can I get a witness? God wants us to live blessed. This is not a negative thing. This is not a bad thing. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So money itself is not evil, but the love of it is, the selfishness for it is. When we see this thing and all we do is say, I want it, and I want more of it, it's then out of that that other problems are birthed, and that's called selfishness. But I don't got time to preach about selfishness. (laughs) So if money isn't evil, what is it? It's a tool. A tool can be used to build a wall or to tear a wall down. And so the Bible is saying that this is a tool that you can use to build up your life, to build up the blessings in your life, to build up your family, to build up those around you, or it's a tool that you can use to destroy your life. And so because of that, we have to understand what the Bible has to say about our finances. So point number one, money is a gift from God. Number two is this, there are things better than money. We love money, but the Bible, Proverbs tells us that there's a lot of stuff better than money. So instead of running around chasing that, we have to chase these things. Look at what it says. Proverbs 21, 1. It says, a good name. Everyone say a good name. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So a good name is better. Proverbs 28, 6. Better to be poor and honest, so to have good character, than to be dishonest and rich. It's better to be a person of character than it is to have your pocket stacked with some hundos in it, right? Window, uh, Proverbs 16, 16. It says, how much better to get wisdom... It's better to have wisdom. How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? So being wise, pursuing the things that God says is better than being wealthy. Uh, Proverbs 15, 17, I love this one. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hated company. It's better to have loving relationships in life than have a whole lot of money. There's another version that says it's better to eat a meal with a vegetarian than a thick steak with animosity. Right? Isn't that true? I'd rather eat some vegetables that I don't even want with my wife than to have to sit down with some dude I can't stand and have a great meal. And so we need to pursue loving relationships, not just our finances. Righteousness is another one. Proverbs 11.4, it says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness it delivers from death. So there's a lot of things in life that are more valuable than just money. We need to be pursuing those, what Proverbs says. Number three, third point is this. Money can't do everything. Money can't do everything. You've heard the saying, money makes the world go round. You heard that saying before? God makes the world go round. God's like a Harlem Globe trotter, right, making the world go round. God's the one that's doing it, not money. And so we have to remember that money can't fix all of our problems. It can't. Proverbs 18, 11, the rich... Well, let me stop there. The rich. If you make $40,000 a year in your home combined income, you're in the top 1% on the planet of the wealthiest people. So if you make 40 grand, the Bible is calling you rich. Nobody ever feels rich because there's always somebody richer, right? But if you ate food yesterday and you plan on eating food today in a global standard, you're extremely wealthy. Okay. Okay. So the rich think that their wealth as a strong defense they imagine it to be a high wall of safety. But you see, money can't protect you from everything. That's why it's not the most important thing. Proverbs 11.4. Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. Proverbs 23.4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it sprouts wings and flies away like an eagle. Have you ever been saving money for something and then like you turn around and it's gone? Okay, good. So that's not just me. So the Bible's saying that wealth, it just flies away. What that means is that wealth isn't the most important thing, that it can't solve all your problems because wealth, it can sprout wings and it can fly off on you. So money is a gift from God and everything God gives us, we need to manage well, right? Money is a gift from God. Money isn't the most important thing and it can't fix all of our problems. But because it's a gift from God, we need to manage it. So my God, God gave me a wife, right? So that means that I have to be a good steward of that relationship. 
God gave me children, so I have to be a good father and steward how I'm raising them. He gave me a body to live in, so I have to be a good steward of how I take care of my body. So everything God gives us, we have to take care of. God gives us finances too. And so because of that, we have to talk about how to take care of our finances. And in the church, it's really easy to talk about how to take care of your spiritual life, your marriage, or your kids. But it's kind of awkward to talk about how to take care of your physical body. Well, we already dealt with that. And then it can be even more difficult to talk about how to take care of your finances. But Proverbs is full of wisdom. So I've got a couple more points. You ready? Point number four. Proverbs tells us that we need to be honest in all financial dealings. In all of our financial interactions, we need to be honest. It says this in 11.1. It says, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights finds favor with him. That means if you own a business or you're in sales, don't rip people off. Don't lie to people. Don't cheat on your taxes. There's all these areas in life that we need to be honest because we can't trust our own ability to manipulate something. We have to trust our Heavenly Father, who's the one who provides everything in the first place. Proverbs 22.6, it says, A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. We have to be honest. Proverbs 13.11, it says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Point number five is this, is we have to work hard to make money. We have to work hard to make the money that we have. Proverbs 10.4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Yes, all our blessings come from God, but money still doesn't grow on trees, right? They don't. God, please let me have a money tree in my backyard, right? It doesn't work like that. And so we have to be diligent with our hands to try to collect everything that God has for us. Some people, they have name it and claim it ministries, you heard of that? I'm going to name it and claim it. I'm going to get a Lamborghini by next month, right? Name it and claim it. Well, I think that they're missing a point. It's name it and claim it and then work for it, right? And so there's power in our tongue. Remember, we learned that. There's power in prophecy. So as we speak things out, we then have to back up with our labor of our hands to see God provide for us. Point number six is this. Oh, it's about to get serious. Are you all ready? It's about to get serious. I'm about to get all up in your business. And my business, too. Point number six is this. Proverbs tells us that we have to control our spending. I know, I know. I told Rachel, I was like, babe, it's about to beat us up a little bit today. We have to control our spending. Proverbs 27, verse 23. It says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks, like flock of sheep or something. I don't have any flocks. I don't know about y'all. And then it says, give careful attention to your herds, like herds, a bunch of cattle. I don't have any of those either, so maybe this isn't talking to me, right? Then it says, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. This was written to people in an agrarian culture, is that the right word? Where they, they were buying and selling, where they were having animals, and they were growing crops. And so it's saying that what we need to do is we need to be aware of our flocks and our herds. But let me read it if it were written for us today. Ready? It would say something like this. Be sure you know the condition of your checking account. Right? Give careful attention to your savings account. For riches do not endure forever because your finances are not secure tomorrow. That's what it would say if it was written today. And so for us to be intentional about our spending, we have to understand what we're bringing in, what we're making. Proverbs 27, 12. It says the prudent, the wise, the prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. So you have to be looking at your checking account, seeing how much money you have. And then if you start running out of money before the month is over, you have to go on a spending freeze. Anybody ever had a spending freeze? Rachel and I, I'll have to say to her, she'll have to say to me, hey, there's 10 days left of the month. We can't buy anything. Can't buy anything. Nope. Can't buy that. Can't, we have to go on a spending freeze. But it says that the foolish person just keeps on spending. And who knows the bank loves charging you those overdraft fees, right? The reason the bank is there is not to save your money, is to take your money, right? And so we have to be the ones that are diligent of our flocks and our herds and paying attention to what's happening in our life. Proverbs 6, uh, starting in verse 6, going through verse 8, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, or ruler, yet it stores its provision in the summer and gathers food at harvest. So an ant, 
I don't even know if an ant actually has a brain. It has a very tiny, invisible brain in there probably, right? An ant, it stores money, or it stores food, and it saves food for a time in the future. Do you know what that's called? You're about to hate this word. That's called a budget. (laughs) An ant, an ant, (laughs) has enough wisdom in itself to create a budget. And so God is telling us that what we have to do to control our spending is make a budget. Everyone say, make a budget. I'm sorry, I don't like doing it either, right? But making a budget is a powerful tool because a budget is a tool to help you know where your money is going. But if you don't have a budget to know where your money is going, then you're going to wonder where it went. It's happened to us, right? The end of the month is like, where did our money go? And then you get online, you look at where all your money went, and you're going, dude, we wasted so much money this month. What are we doing? And so you have to create a budget. And if an ant can do it, we're, we're like top of the food chain, y'all. We are made in God's image. And so we have to have a budget over our finances so we can have victory over this thing. And the problem, the problem isn't usually how much money we make, but how much money we spend. Because there's been seasons where Rachel and I have made a lot more money than we're making now, but we were still broke. Isn't it funny how that works? It's not, so it's not an income problem, it's an outgoing problem. Because if there's not a budget, your money just grows wings and it flies away. Proverbs uh, 21.17, it says, Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. So let's pull this into today's vernacular, because I don't think many of us are collecting olive oil at our house in time of a recession, right? So it would say this, if you love going out to eat every day, you will never be rich. We ran the numbers, this is, I don't know, two or three years ago, we kept running out of money. No, this is longer than this, this is back before we planned a living church. We ran the numbers and we spent, one month we spent $700 at restaurants. 700 bucks and we were like my mom's looking at me like seriously and so and we we ran out of money like we had no money and we were like where's all of our money going it's going out to a restaurant I'm going to Chipotle I'm going here for breakfast here for lunch here for dinner oh I want to get a smoothie oh I want to get a coffee and but by the end of the month we had no money but it was because we didn't have a budget or it would say something like uh, whoever loves wearing new shoes once a month will never be rich Whoever, whoever wants to drive a new car every year will never be rich. Whoever has to have the brand new iPhone in their pocket just because it came out will never be rich. Whoever goes to Target and can't walk past the dollar section without buying six things will never be rich. I've got women like hiding from me all over, <laughs> all over the room. It's only a dollar. I know. But only a dollar 30 times a month times 12 turns into you're broke. And so what we have to do is we have to establish, I'm glad y'all are with me. I was nervous, this is gonna be a hard one. And so what we have to do is we have to establish some boundaries in our lives. We have to build some walls right around our vineyard and say, nope, I'm not gonna do these things that I shouldn't be doing. I love this next one. It's for $100 millionaires. You know what a $100 millionaire, they wanna look like a millionaire but they wanna make it $100. It's uh, having a champagne taste on a beer budget, right? The Bible, the Bible speaks to it. It says this right here, Proverbs 13, 7. One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. And another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. So we have to look at how we're spending our money and what we're spending our money on. If we're living in a place that we don't feel safe or, or the place we're living isn't adding value to us, but we're driving a $70,000 car, that's kind of a problem because we're trying to look wealthy, but then really we're not being smart with our finance. I love you, but we're not being smart with our finances. If you can't pay your bills, but you're wearing new clothes every week, man, wear them again. Wash them. That's what a washing machine is for, right? <laughs> wear them again and iron that shirt and then take it around town and save some money. Okay. Uh, maturity, we've heard this before, that maturity means act your age that when you're mature, you act your age. But I'd like to add to it and say this. Maturity means act your age and live within your wage. Act your age, but live within your wage. So how much money are you making? And then start cutting the things out of your life that don't fit within your wage. If you have an unlimited budget, spend any money you want. Take me to lunch today, right? Do whatever you want to do. But if you, have a, if you only have limited resources, then you have to live within those resources. Number seven, 
is this. Remember, this is all Proverbs. This is not me. Number seven is this. We need to intentionally save. We need to be intentional savers. Proverbs 21.20. The wise, the wise, store up choice food and olive oil. But fools, go, there's down. Fools just gulp it down. So a wise person says, you know what, I'm going to store this away for a rainy day. I'm going to put this aside so that if things are tight next month, I've got it to pull from. But a foolish person, they just gulp down everything they make. And I've been there, and we're kind of there right now in some things, that it feels like every month we're just squeaking by. So we have to start looking at our lifestyle and create a budget so we can start cutting some of those things out and live with wisdom. I'm losing them, Lord. Proverbs 13, 11. It says this, dishonest, uh, dishonest money dwindles away. Oh, this, I read this first part earlier, but listen to the second half. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Sometimes we look at people that are wealthy and we think, oh, they just had a massive windfall in their life and became a millionaire. But the way that most people become millionaires or become wealthy is because they saved up little by little. And so if you save up enough little by little by little by little by little by little, it turns into a lot. And so Proverbs is saying have a budget and intentionally save. Number eight, number eight is this. The eighth thing that Proverbs tells us to do with our finances is that we need to manage our debt. We need to be intentional about managing our debt. Now, money, where is it? Money is not evil. So if money isn't evil, that means that debt isn't evil either. So there's good debt and there's bad debt. There's some things in life that you can use debt for to help you build something, right? So if you are buying a house, you can buy that house and you can accrue some debt to own that home. And what you're doing is the payment that you're making means that you own more of the house. And the hope is that after 10 years or 5 years or 20 years, the house is worth more money. So that is gaining some value, right? We all understand this. But there are other things that you can spend money on that is not gaining but losing. You're literally losing money every month on that thing. It's called a depreciating investment. So buying clothes on a credit card is a depreciating investment. Because if you go to the mall and you buy $500 worth of clothes, and you wear those clothes for, it's, it's winter, I gotta buy some sweaters, right? And so you go and you spend $500 on clothes, and you wear them for three months. When three months go by, what could you sell that $500 worth of clothes for? 50 bucks. 50 bucks. Maybe. Maybe 50 bucks. And so we can put this, but you still owe the credit card company the same amount of money. And so there's some, so not all debt is going to destroy you. Some debt is a tool you can use to advance yourself, right? We all need a car. We live in America. If you have a job, you need a car. But you can buy a car that is reliable transportation between three and $6,000. And so I meet people all the time. They're young, they're college age, they're just getting out of college. They're like, I gotta get a car. I have to have transportation. So they go and buy a $45,000 car with a $1,000 car payment and they wonder why they're broke. It's because you're trying to have a million-dollar budget on $100 a month. And so we have to just be looking at our finances and manage our debt. <sighs> Proverbs 22.7, it says, The rich rule over the poor. Dave Ramsey uses this all the time. He didn't make it up. It's the Bible. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. That if we don't manage our debt, then we can find ourselves in slavery, like in bondage to the people we owe money to. This is not me up here banging you with a hammer. This is me up here saying, I've done it. I've been there. Rachel and I have gotten ourselves into the debt that we had to fight to get out of. But I'm telling you, there's hope. If we follow what the Bible says, that you can find freedom in this. I don't have time to do a whole teaching on debt management, but we're going to do another Dave Ramsey course, Financial Peace University, in the new year. So keep your ears open, read the program every week, and would love for you to get connected and grow in some wisdom with that. Um, one other thing with managing debt, if you have a spending problem, this is a big one, I don't really have time to do it, but if, if you have a spending problem, you need, maybe you need to practice contentment. Everyone say contentment. contentment. Sometimes we have to practice being content. First Timothy 6, 6, it says godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That just being content with what you have, you know, like my car works, so I'm content with it. I have a closet full of clothes, so I'm content with it. Yeah, I got a raise and could buy a bigger house, but I'm content with what I have, 
you know? That if we can practice being content, that it can help us not get into the problems that we find ourselves in so many times. Point number nine, out of 10 points from Proverbs, point number nine is this, don't be greedy. Don't be greedy with your finances. Don't be greedy with the things that God gives you. Proverbs 15, 27, it says, the greedy bring ruin to their household. I don't know about you, but I don't want to bring ruin to my household. I want to bring blessing to my children and blessing to my wife and blessing to the people around me. And nobody ever thinks they're greedy. Like when you say the word greedy, no one ever thinks that you're talking to them. Because what we do is we remember the time two years ago we weren't greedy. Man, Pastor, I saw this homeless guy. I gave him $6. I'm not greedy. Oh, man, my brother-in-law, he needs some money, so I loaned him $200 with 25% interest on top. I'm not greedy. And so we think about the times that we weren't greedy, and then we say that we aren't greedy. And so I was praying about it this week, and I realized, you know what I wish there was? A greedy meter. I wish that you could, that, I wish this was like an invention that you could like stick in someone's ear, and it would have like a dial on it, and it would tell you whether you're greedy or not. But there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a greedy meter. So all we can do is we can have some self-examination. The only way to determine, am I greedy? The Bible says that greedy brings ruin to their household. God, am I greedy? The only way to know is self-examination. So I wrote a line. I just got to read it. If you're not consistently giving to God and willing to give to others when prompted by God, you may have a greed issue. Let me read it again. If you are not consistently, not like every once in a while you throw a 20 in the plate to give God a tip, but if you are not consistently giving to God, the second part is just as important, and willing to give to others when God prompts you, when God speaks to you, hey, you should bless this person, you should help this person. If you're not willing when prompted, then you may have a greed issue. But I've learned in my life that the only prescription, you know, if you get sick, they give you a prescription, the only prescription to greed is generosity. It's generosity. The only way to overcome a greedy heart and to fix the greedo meter is to add some generosity into your life and to say, who can I be generous to? In what ways can I be generous? And there are two, I think that all of us want to be generous, right? I want to be generous. I want to be able to bless people. I want to see someone with bald tires and taking a discount tire and buying four new tires. I want to do those kind of things. I want to hear about needs in the church and I want to be able to bless people. I want to be generous. But sometimes the reason we aren't generous is because, one, we aren't good financial stewards with what we do have, right? It's like, man, I would give it to you, but I'm spending it all on stupid stuff, and so I can't be generous. Or the other reason is because we have a greedy heart, and because we have such a love of things that we're unwilling to give to those that are around us. I was up here, this is back when we were at Aristide doing setup and teardown for the church, and I was a prayer partner, a guy came up to me and asked for prayer, and he had all kind of financial needs, and he said, man, I just don't know what to do. I'm so stretched. I don't have any money. I can't even give God anything. We haven't given God anything in months. I need you to pray for me. So I prayed for him. I said, hey, let's talk after service. Let me see what's going on. So I talked to the guy after service. He starts telling me about all the bills that he has, and the bills are like crazy. He has $1,100 car payment, like crazy bills. He said, well, man, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. How much do you make a year? He said, well, last year I made right over $400,000. And I'm standing there looking at this guy who's genuinely up front crying because he can't pay his bills, but he makes $400,000. And so we just talked through some real simple things, and he's looking at me like I'm a genius. And I'm like, no, dude, I don't even know what I'm doing. I just don't buy my, car, my wife a car that's $1,100 a month, right? And so we just made some simple changes, and it changed his life. Do you know what that tells me? Is it's not about the amount that comes in. It's about how you manage what you have. So you can have $40,000 a year or $400,000 a year and still be greedy. And so when we realize, man, my greedo meter is heading the wrong direction, we have to pour some generosity on it to make a change in our life. Proverbs 21:26. It says some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Some people always want more. What's the next thing? What's the new thing? You know, what is it? I don't know what your thing is, right? Like, whatever your hobby is, what's the new thing? What's the ne- what's, what do I want next? But the Bible says that godly people, we're supposed to be pursuing godliness, that godly people that they love to give. We need to run from greed, run from greed, and pursue generosity. Because yeah. it's not just enough to not get greedy. Remember, we talked about this last week if you are here. The way that we escape wickedness is to pursue right living. 
And so we have to pursue generosity. Point number 10 is this. The Bible tells us in Proverbs to be generous to others and God. Now, I already had nine points talking about your finances. This is the one point talking about giving to the church. So we need to be generous with others and to God. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. It says, give freely. This, this scripture is crazy. Give freely and become more wealthy. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like, I can do math, and that doesn't make any sense. The problem is, is that God does not operate within the laws of this world. He created this world. He operates in his own law. So it says, give freely and become, just do you trust that idea? Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. A generous person will prosper. Will prosper. You, there will be prosperity. We can work and toil and give all that we can, and we're not seeing any fruit. But then we're obedient to God, and God pulls out this magic fertilizer, and he fertilizes our work, and he fertilizes our investment. And then it says that we will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Whoever is a refreshment to others. You see a lady with a flat tire, go buy her a tire. You've refreshed someone, God will be refreshing to you. And if you don't believe me, it's because you don't believe what the Bible says. Malachi 3.10, right? You haven't tested God in this. God says, test me in this. Test me. I'm your huckleberry, right? Test me in this thing. And see if I won't pour open, if I won't open the floodgates of heaven and pour blessing out on you. Test me. Nowhere else in the Bible does God tell us to test him other than the scripture. And so if you're like me and you're good at math and you read this and you say, give more and get more doesn't produce, doesn't equate, doesn't make any sense, test God. I dare you. I dare you to test God and see what he does in your life. Proverbs 3, verse 5, it's a long portion of scripture, and so I just want to read some of these. You guys doing okay? We all good? Okay. I want to read these to you, starting in verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. So when we trust in God, we are gaining wisdom. So have wisdom. Don't lean in your own math and your own understanding. It says, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I think the hardest part about that verse is the word submit. Everyone say submit. Submit. We don't like to submit to nobody. Right, Right, we don't want to submit because when we submit, we're now humbling ourselves to God's way. But humility is the key to wisdom. And so we submit ourselves to God's way. And it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, respect the Lord, and shun evil. This, doing this, will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Remember we said money can't do everything? Money can't do everything. But God says in obedience that he's going to bring nourishment to your bones and health to your body. Verse 9. Here it is. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Not the guy who makes $400,000 wealth. With your wealth. However much it is or however metal it is, the Bible says honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. The first fruits. So back in the day, Uh, a farmer would go out into his field, and if he is a peach farmer, right, he would pick all of his peaches, millions of peaches, and sorry, and so he would get peaches for me, right, and so he would get, I don't know what's happening up here, and so he would get all of his peaches, I can't help it sometimes, and he would take them to the market, and the Bible is saying that what you're supposed to do is give God your first fruit, and so he'd put all his peaches out at the farmer's market for everybody to see, and then his customers would come by, what do you do when you're buying fruit? You pick the best one, right? So he's telling, God's telling the farmer, pick your first fruit. Pick the ones that your customers would pick first. Pick 10% of those, put them in a basket, and then take them into God's house. Not put all your peaches out, sell them all weekend, get everybody to buy them, and then the bruised, scraggly, cracked open ones with worms, get them and throw them in a basket and then bring those to God. But man, that's what we do sometimes, isn't it? We spend all of our money and we do all of our stuff on us, 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 on what we want. And then we bring God our leftover junk and we say, bless me, God. And God's going in heaven like, are you serious? Like, do you love me? Do you know what I've done for you? Like, I've given you everything you have. And all he's asking for you to do is to give it back to him. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then, then, so there's a before, an obedience factor, and then an after. Then 
your barns, I don't have any barns, but I got a checking account, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And your vats, I don't got no vats, but I got a savings account. And your savings account will brim over with new resource, with new wine, so that out of obedience of what God says, he will then bring provision. This is some good stuff, y'all. And so we have to be intentional about how we're spending our money. It goes on, it says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. You know what that means? Don't get mad. So here's what I've been praying all week for this moment right now. That in this moment, as I'm talking about giving unto the Lord, that you wouldn't be mad. That this right now would be a crazy Ivan moment for you, for those of you that were here. That a submarine captain every once in a while has to turn around and put himself in a position of momentary vulnerability to make sure nothing's in his blind spot. And sometimes when it comes to our finances and giving to God, we have something in our blind spot, and it's called selfishness. And it's called greed, and it's called not being content with the blessings that God's given us. But that when we're obedient to God, and we accept his rebuke, that, man, great things can come and will prosper in our lives. It goes on, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those who he loves as a father the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding, for she, listen, is more profitable than silver and yields a better return than gold. She is far more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. So the Bible is telling us that we need to be obedient in returning unto the Lord's what is the Lord. The tithe is a test of trust. The question is, do you trust God? Like, do you trust God? Are you going to be obedient and set your finances up in a place that you can give? And then once you do that and you have some, the ability, are you going to trust God to give back to him what is his? Proverbs 20, verse 25, it says this, It is a snare to the man who devours that which is holy and after vows to make inquiry. It's so good. So remember we talked about angry words, how angry words can snare you, and I put my foot in the rope and I couldn't move any farther because of my angry words. The Bible says that if you spend the money that is holy, so there is a part of your paycheck that God deems as holy. There's a percentage that is holy. But if we spend that part that is holy, it's like a snare to us. A snare stops our forward advancement. It stops our ability to get to the next place. And sometimes we're going, man, why can't I get over this hump? Why can't my marriage just get better? Why can't I just fix these things in my life? Maybe it's because you're snared up in something that you needed to shake free and say, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to obey God for what he says. And this next part, it says, and after vows to make inquiry. So what happens is, is we, we spend everything we have in the house and the car and the bills and the things. We vow to pay everybody else. Then we make inquiry about what to give to God. And we come to him with our dilapidated peaches and we say, God, here's all that I have left. I think that sometimes people will talk to me and they'll say, you know, Pastor, I don't believe that the tithe is biblically accurate. And it kind of makes me laugh, uh, to be totally honest, because it just shows that you're not really reading what the Bible has to say. So in the Old Testament, it gives us this example of how we need to give God the first tenth of everything that we make. And so if you say, well, that's the Old Testament, that's not pertaining to the New Testament, well, then I would say, well, in the New Testament, the Bible says the disciples sold everything they had and gave it to the community. So if you're going to argue the Bible-based one, let's go, baby, because I promise that the New Testament is way harder standard than what the guys did in the Old Testament. And so we need to be intentional about what we're doing, but sometimes we argue that not because we think it's biblically accurate, just because we're selfish and we don't want to give anything. But I, I digress. Um, the first fruit, the first fruit, uh, 10% sometimes can sound crazy. It can sound crazy. And really, like, for you today, it might be impossible. Like, for you right now, if you were to start giving 10% of everything you make to God, that might not even be possible for you right now. Well, here would be the challenge. Start giving consistently. Maybe it's not 10%. Maybe for you and your family, you can do 5%. Maybe you can do 3%. Maybe you can say, you know what, I can give $100 a month and I'm going to budget it and I'm going to fight to give that $100 a month because right living is a process. Remember we talked, if you were here last week, that we're one place and we want to get to somewhere else, so we start taking intentional steps. 
And so I'm not saying, like, pay your tithe on a credit card. Please don't, don't do that. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I want your betterment. And so as we start pursuing that promise, maybe it starts with 100 bucks a month. Maybe you're a person that just every three months you throw $30 in. Well, how about every month you throw $30 in? Just start somewhere and start seeing what God does in your life and start fulfilling his promise. Now, for some of us, you could do 10% right now. Like, you've got the money, you've got the mobility to do that, or you could say, you know what, we need to trade in this car, and I need to get something that's more economical, and you could do 10% right now. Well, do it. If you trust the promise, I'm telling you, man, God's promises are yes and amen. His promises are true, and we need to pursue the things that he has for us. I don't want your 10%. I don't want your 10%. I want you to trust God 100%. That's what I want. I'm not up here trying to get your money. I'm trying to get God's blessings through to you. Every once in a while, Lillian and I will go on a daddy-daughter date, and uh, she likes to go to Chick-fil-A. And so her and I will go to Chick-fil-A, and we'll go, and she told me this last time we went, she said, Daddy, when we get there, I'm going to buy you an ice cream. I said, jackpot, okay. And she said, I already told Mama. And so I'm assuming that Lillian has five bucks in her pocket or something to buy me ice cream. So we go to Chick-fil-A, and I order a sandwich, the grilled one, thank you very much. And so she orders, and a diet lemonade, and she orders her nuggets. And so we sit down, and we eat, and we talk, and we laugh. And when we're done eating, uh, she says, Daddy, it's time for me to buy you an ice cream. I said, okay, baby. And so we get up, and she goes to the line, and she says to the lady, I want to buy my daddy some ice cream. And so the lady pumps it in, and she says, do you want one? And the lady says, I want one too. And so the lady says, okay. And the lady behind the counter puts her hand down to Lillian, like, pay me now. And so Lillian just looks at her. And then she turns around to me, and she goes like this. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you were buying me an ice cream. And so I take out my card, and I give it to Lily, and she turns around, and she gives it to the lady. And the lady swipes it, and she hands Lily two ice creams. Lily turns around, and she gives me an ice cream. And then we go and sit down and laugh and eat ice cream. That's what the tithe is. God already gave you everything you have. I drove her to Chick-fil-A. I bought her meal while we were at Chick-fil-A. I then got up and bought her ice cream and my ice cream. But then she turned around and gave me back something that was already mine. But what we do to God sometimes, yeah. What we do to God is we have the two ice creams and we go like this. (laughs) You're not getting any. And we take all the blessing, everything God's given us is from him and we take it and we don't give him anything god is not after your money y'all he's after your heart he's after your heart and we treasure our finances so much he's saying if you would trust me in this watch what i would do in your life god has a big vision for this church he has a big vision for this church so god's objective is to colonize earth with heaven it's a whole new thing i'm writing he's colonizing heaven on earth And the way that he pays for his vision through his colony is through his people, right? The only way the church grows and we reach more people is through your faithfulness. The reason that we celebrated all the stuff we did in October is because of your faithfulness. Thank you. Thank you for those of you that give. Thank you for being faithful and being obedient to God. So as we give, God's colonization of earth, its capacity is expanded. And so when God sees that someone is faithful to invest in his vision, God knows he can trust them to open the floodgates of heaven. So you ready for me to prophesy over your life? Come back to Living Church in 10 years and watch what happens to the people in this room. There are people in this room right now that own businesses that are this big. And in 10 years, because they're faithful, they're going to be making millions and millions of dollars a year because of their faithfulness. There are people in this room that are searching, trying to figure out what's next. What do I want to do? I've been stuck in the same plateau for years. But because of your faithfulness, God is going to move you from a field feeding sheep onto a thing killing a giant. But it's because of your obedience. Watch what I'm telling you. If you don't like this message, leave and come back in 10 years. And I'll point to you 30 people that God's blessed in crazy ways. It's prophecy. It's a prophecy. I'm speaking life into you. The question is, are you going to jump into the alignment of it and receive the blessing that God has for you? Let me pray for you. Can I do that? God, thank you for your people. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for everything that you've done at Living Church. God, I don't preach this message for my benefit. You're my provider, not them. 
You've been provided for me way before I met anybody in this room. You're my provider. But God, the reason we're teaching the truths out of your word is so that we can follow in obedience and receive the blessings that you have for us. You have a big vision for this church and you want to do great things in the lives of people. So Father, I pray that people would go home and talk to their husbands, talk to their wives, talk to themselves and look at their finances and say, what can I do? What changes do I need to make in my life to be obedient to what God has called me to do? Not a momentary thing, but a long-term life change. And through that, you promise to bring blessing. We thank you, Lord, in your name, we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? Now, before we go, before we go, I gotta give you the opportunity, if you don't know Jesus, to get to know him today. The Bible says that God loves us more than we can even imagine. That no matter what kind of situation we've gotten ourselves into, no matter how far away from him we are, he loves us. When I was a wreck, God loved me. And he forgave me for every sin I've ever committed. And so this morning, if that's you and you would say, I'm far from the Lord, we want to give you an opportunity to get to know Jesus this morning. All of us have sinned and fallen short. But God sent his son Jesus down to the earth to pay the payment. See? He gave generously. He paid the payment for our sin. And because of that, we now have access to his Father. And when we step into eternity, we won't be removed from God in hell, but have access to live eternity in heaven with him. So church, if you would close your eyes and bow your heads, if that's you this morning, you would say, Pastor, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. Something happened during worship. Something happened in the message. I felt God tugging at me. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you unto himself. Don't let another day go by. If that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, you'd say, today's my day. Don't wait one more minute. Yep, I see this hand right over here. Just a little guy. Praise God. I see you, buddy. Anybody else want to join this one? Yep, right here. I see two. Anyone else? Say, today's my day. Living church, would you pray with me and these two that raise their hand? Everyone say this. Dear God, forgive me my sin and come into my heart. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. Thank you for giving to me. Thank you for loving me. Amen.